going to be in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 23. I hate to cut in this. Let's go to verse 1. <clears throat> the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ's king. Uh, that's a lie. They lied on him right there. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, been wanting to see him for a long time, because he had heard many things of him or about him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity you must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city. A sedition is a violent revolution. And for murder was cast into prison. That's who Barabbas was. A seditionist and a murderer. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. That's at least four times so far. 
I will therefore chastise him and let him go. I don't know why he's going to even do that. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison. That's Barabbas, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will, the will of the people. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Cyrene is in the north part of Africa. Probably, Simon was a black man. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. That is Jesus. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming into which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. They shall, then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two, two other malefactors. That just means evildoers. Led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, dice. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth, Unto the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up his, the ghost. That means he died, dismissed his spirit. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts 
and returned, and all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went into Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down, wrapped it in linen, didn't put it in a shroud, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in a stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation. The Sabbath drew on, and the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned, prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of Luke chapter 23. Now I'm going to concentrate on one aspect. Look back at verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon the Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren. And the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Weep not for Jesus. These people reacted these women reacted to what was going on much differently than Jesus did. And it's being done to Jesus. I think we could say safely that there were some misplaced tears here. Jesus is saying that he doesn't want or need the world's sympathy. So, well, that, that's just going to mess up our, our programs. Well, it may do it. The Lord's Word always messes up your programs. But unregenerate, even moral people think that they show their Christianity by mourning over Jesus' death. Now, I understand that movie, The Passion of Christ, brings out some reactions. And humanly speaking, it is awesome to see portrayed what Jesus no doubt suffered, how be it. You can't, you can't demonstrate what Jesus suffered on the cross by the crown of thorns 
by the fist beating, by the lashings, by the nails, that doesn't nearly portray what Jesus Christ suffered on the cross of Calvary. You begin to see a little bit of it. Now, some of that stuff, those two thieves suffered. They didn't suffer what Jesus did physically. They didn't mistreat them nearly as badly as they mistreated Jesus. Not at all. And yet this was one that for that crowd that's crying and that's raging on him, they've already heard at least five times from several sources that Jesus is innocent. Don't think that this world is fair. Don't think that this world is anywhere near on God's side. Don't think they're anywhere near on Christ's side. Regardless of how much of the Beatitudes they, they proclaim. Regardless of how they say they love Jesus' teaching on love. If they had the opportunity to do the same thing today what is this the 16th 2023 July 16 they would do the same exact thing maybe even with more vehemency can you imagine one of these LGBT demonstrations and what they would say about Jesus and his teachings, we know exactly what they say about him. So, they think that they show their Christianity by how much they weep over Jesus. But when you see what Jesus said, didn't he say, weep not for me, you daughters of Jerusalem? He's just talking about the inhabitants, the women inhabitants of Jerusalem. Because that's where they were. Weep not for me. Well, yes, he went through an awful, awful ordeal. I think more than anybody ever went through. Matter of fact, Isaiah says, his visage, that's his countenance, his face, was marred more than any man. He wasn't recognizable. You ever see anybody been beat that bad? To where they're not even recognizable? They crowned that crown of thorns on his head? And you see, is that well, he was God. Yeah, but he was the man. He was the son of man. He was a kinsman redeemer. He was kin to us, to man. 
He was as much man as he was God, as much God as he was man, but he was man. God did not die on the cross. I can tell that because Jesus said, Father, I can tell that because Jesus said, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Heaven was not empty when Jesus hanged on the cross. Now, a lot of guys don't understand that. But he was the son of man. Well, around Easter time, I don't know, March, April, whenever it is, it changes every year. You always see somebody, I think over in the Philippines, there's some guys that nail themselves on a cross. Now, we don't have anybody like that, but now in Jasper County, we got some dude that, that gets him a big old cross, got a roller skate on the bottom end of it, and then he walks around. Have you seen him lately, brother? He's been, he, but he's done it for many years. I don't know, he, he may not even be alive now, I don't know. But walks around Jasper County with that cross on his back. Uh, anybody remember Jesus Christ Superstar? Every now and then I hear somebody mention it, you know, on the radio or something. It was a play and it was a big song. And really went over big for a lot. And the words to that thing, man. It practically cursed God for putting Jesus on the cross. We didn't sing that here. Anyway. This is all what I'm talking about. Trying to show their Christianity by mourning the death of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you this now. How many of you know what stigmata is? A couple of you do. Now, if you've got a problem with your eyes, there's a certain stigma that you can get. Hold your place there and look at Galatians. Chapter 6. Verse 17, from henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Well, now that word in the Greek is for where we get the word stigma. Now what Paul is talking about, well he had been whipped. 117 times on his back. Now, I'm not talking about mama paddling you. You ever see anybody being whipped or caned by governments that do such things? They know how to swing that whip and swing that cane. 
And let me tell you that three different times, Paul the Apostle was beaten with 39 stripes. The reason it wasn't 40, because the Jews didn't want to go over the limit, wanted to make sure they didn't go over the limit. 40 stripes was the limit. But he received 39 stripes three different times. Now, Paul wasn't a, a tall man. He was probably just an average Jew in that day. Probably 5'3", five, 5'4", five, maybe 5'2", five, I don't know. Wasn't, he wasn't one of these stretched out dudes. So I'd say his back was probably, it wasn't more than two foot, was it? All right. Now you take a bull whip and take a grown man that knows how to swing it and he ain't holding back. Now, every time he hits that back, blood flies. Skin separates. Now, how many 39 times he ain't got enough room for 39 fresh licks? They had to double up. Now, there's a lot of men that kills them right there. They beat them to death. Then that heals over, and then they give him 39 more. And then that heals over, they give him 39 more. I doubt that you could see any original clean flesh on Paul's back. Am I exaggerating? Now what does all that scar tissue do? It draws you. Guarantee you he could not lie flat on his back. Guarantee you he had to curl up on his side, laying on them rocks in prison. He was in pain constantly. All that scar tissue with no treatment to it, no lotion to it, you never would get over it. When Paul, now besides that, he had been stoned practically to death. Now what kind of scars did those rocks throw? They throwing pea gravel at him. They're throwing brick bats. They're throwing any kind of rock they can. They're hitting him in the head especially, in the face, wherever they can. If a crowd is throwing rocks at you, trying to kill you, Guarantee you had scars everywhere those rocks hit. And they thought he, they'd killed him, but they didn't. So Paul said, I bear in my body the stigma or the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. All right. Now that sets the groundwork for stigmata. That's a Roman Catholic deal. These people claim that they suffered so and identified with Jesus Christ that they've actually got scars on their body just like he did. Those are lying dogs, every one of them. Now all these people are called saints. God doesn't call them that, but 
they're called saints. Francis of Assisi. I sometimes just call him Francis the Sissy, but it's a Sissy where he's from. He claimed to have scars in his feet, his hands, and his side. Because he suffered so much with Christ. Then you had Rita, that's woman, of Caskia. She had the scars from the crown of thorns on her head. Now granted, she's never had a crown, never had a crown of thorns put on her head. She just said the, the scars came up there because she identified so much with the suffering of Christ. All right? And every now and then you hear about St. Francis, St. Rita, St. Veronica Giuliani. I've heard somebody talking about St. Veronica. She claims to have the scars, feet, hands, and side. Now, I know you've heard about St. Catherine's Academy or something. St. Catherine. Well, this is Catherine of Siena. I think that's in Spain. Now, she didn't actually have any scars, stigmata. Hers was invisible. She just felt the pain. Now, I don't know how P-I-O, P-O or P-I-O of Pietrelcina. He had the feet and the hands on the side. And then there's Gemma or Gemma Galgani. I don't know whether that's woman or man. It'd fit right into today's world, wouldn't it? <laughs> this and just had the hands and the feet. I don't know what happened to the side. I think these are the six that, and boy, do they praise these people. Boy, how spiritual they are. They're just very close to the, the Savior, and they got the scars from just empathizing with him so much. Let me tell you something. What Jesus Christ accomplished with his death on the cross and burial and resurrection, they ain't another human being and all of them put together could ever touch anything that he did. You see, there's been one problem always. That's the problem of sin. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Ain't nothing different today, boys. You going to school. There ain't but one problem. And that's a sin problem. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And we've all become sinners. And that's what this is all about. That's what this veil of tears is all about. And there's always just been one solution. In the Garden of Eden, there wasn't but one solution to the sin problem. 
And God demonstrated it right before the eyes of Adam and Eve when he killed an innocent, I think, lamb or sheep and took the covering from the sheepskin and made coverings for Adam and Eve and they received them by faith. And that is the only solution that has ever been. The Campbellites, they talk about their hyper-dispensationalism. They got a different way of salvation than ever, ever. And lots of other people do the same thing. Got a different way of salvation in the Old Testament than they do in the New Testament. No, 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 no. There ain't never been but one solution. And that was revealed to us in Genesis 3.15 and before Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. After God drove them out. Jesus said. I'm the way. And I want you to know. That there's only one way. One problem. One solution. One way. One savior. Not a bunch of them. One gospel. I like all that one. Now, I'm not trying to get racial in this. I'm just an old man and I've lived through all this. I've seen it. Way back in the day, when Martin Luther King was leading his protest, back in the 60s, I forget which one it was, one of the old interviewers on one of the news programs was interviewing Martin Luther King and actually talking to him about the possibility of him being assassinated. It wasn't any surprise when he got assassinated. It's pretty well known that he probably would be. I'm not saying the people want they wanted to, I'm just saying they speculated that it would happen. And it did happen. But this interview is talking to Martin Luther King, and he claimed to be a Baptist preacher. I don't think he was doctrinally sound, but anyway, that wasn't his issue then. He was civil rights was his issue. He actually told that woman that was interviewing him well you see if that happens then my death would be here's his word redemptive his death didn't redeem anybody no one at all no human being could redeem another human being. Just couldn't happen. To what extremes have people gone to to show their sympathy with Christ? I just read you some of the most extreme right there and then others do it. Now, but you know, with all of the suffering, and we do understand some of his suffering, we'll never, 
we'll never understand it all. Would you have some sympathy with it? So you read in Luke 9 to start with. In that chapter, didn't Jesus, didn't Jesus say something about all this? That was early in his ministry, wasn't it? Luke 9. Uh, Luke, Luke 9, verse 1 and 2. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. That's early in his ministry. Jesus did not look at this death and all that he suffered like we do or the world does. You see, Jesus was not there by accident. <laughs> How about that now? Years ago, I came across a radio, Christian radio, right from here, was making tapes. I was teaching on the trail of blood. And I talked about across town, Manuel, having Episcopalian priest ordination in their services. On Taste Creek Pike, Baptist Church, have an Episcopalian priest ordination. They had a colored spread in the paper. It was all over. What a great ecumenical movement. And I just kind of talked about that a little bit. And I created a stir that went around the world. I really did. From right here. Practically didn't have two nickels rubbed together. Got around the world. <laughs> well, went to a fellowship meeting and one pastor said, oh, there's Brother Gum. He just put, put his foot in his mouth. I said, no, sir, I did not put my foot in my mouth. I said what I meant to say and I meant what I said. And I said, a bunch of you all should have stood with me. It wasn't by accident. I was right in what I said. Everything that I said, I was right. And I will not be judged by God for that. I get some other things, but certainly won't be that. And I didn't have any local pastor standing with me. Only one, Gerald Smith did. Anyway. Revelation 13, and verse 8. And we're talking about Jesus Christ on his way to the cross. 
And you can tell they'd, they'd done him in because they had to get that black man. Nothing wrong with black. He just got more color than we do. To carry his cross for him. Showing he was a human being. He was really human being. And he had suffered like no other human had suffered. And then he's going to go even worse. Look at verse, verse 8 of chapter 13 of Revelation. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. I'm talking about the Antichrist. The book of the life of the Lamb, that's Christ. Slain from the foundation of the world. Now when did God lay down the foundation of the world? Freed Ephesians first chapter. Oh, back there when he elected his people. <laughs> See, that's when he did it all. And when, in the purpose of God, was Jesus Christ crucified and killed for the foundation of the world. Jesus is not there by accident, folks. Everything was designed to put him there. Look at Romans 4. Verse 17. Talking about Abraham here. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Do you see how that goes with Revelation 13, 8? The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world? And how did that happen? By the God who calleth those things which ain't. They are. Hope you see how that goes together. John's Gospel chapter 10. Verse 18, no man taketh it, that is his life, from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You remember when I read that to you that he bowed his head 
and gave up the ghost. That's what he was talking about. I have the power to lay it down. And 72 hours later, he arose by his own power. I have power to take it up again. He laid himself down freely. Now, did he know what he was going to suffer? Yes, he did all along the way. I can't explain that to you. Don't care to try to. Jesus Christ was in the will of God and everything that he was doing. Look at Isaiah 53 real quick. Isaiah 53. No, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul, his life, an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the trail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. For this cause came he forth. He was in the will of God. Matthew 26. Verse 53. <clears throat> Jesus says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. That same hour says Jesus to the multitudes. Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Huh. We're still talking about prophecy being fulfilled. We're still talking about the God who is able to declare that which is not to be as if it were. We're talking about the Lamb of God 
that were slain from the foundation of the world. This is not accidental. It's not brand new. God has worked all history to bring this forth. And we've got such a generation of idiots. They may have technical sense, but spiritually, they're showing how dead they are. Spiritually, they have no idea of what they're talking about. And they're raising their fist against God and against His Word. Nothing or no one could have stopped Jesus. Well, plenty of them tried. Satan tried in the Garden of Eden. Cain tried when he butchered Abel. Pharaoh tried when he commanded all the boy babies of the Jews to be killed. Herod did the same thing. Look at Matthew 2. Verse 13, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there. Until the death of Herod. One thing you can always depend on. If you live long enough you'll see that one die. Because they're all going to meet that appointment. The death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, that's angry, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But ahead, you're too late, buddy. You missed that. Tried to kill Jesus Christ as a baby. Now look at all those Jew babies he murdered. A lot of people have gone through a lot of stuff throughout all the world. 
and there's Satan and all of these others doing their dead level best to stop Jesus from getting to where he is. And they couldn't do it. Well, I'm glad he went. I'm not glad for the suffering, but I know what that suffering was from. That suffering was from my sins. He did no sin. Somebody said, oh, he could not sin. No, that ain't it. That ain't it. That's, that's stating heresy. All you're talking about is, is the God man. But the man, Christ Jesus, did not sin. He consciously did not sin under the law of God. He fulfilled the law. He earned perfect righteousness under the Ten Commandments of God. Anyway. <clears throat> Boys, the grace of God manifested here. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Brother Wayne, given us extended exposition of Psalm 23. Been great, brother. But that psalm does not apply to this world. And yet because people with their vain repetitions, preachers go to the funerals and read that psalm without any explanation. And so everybody says, oh, well, that's, that's for us. The Lord leads me the valley of the shadow of death, and he comforts me. No, only if the Lord is your shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? If he is, then that psalm applies to you. But it doesn't apply to the world. The grace of God manifests. Paul said in Corinthians, he who had it all, I'm paraphrasing, gave it up that he might come into this world. But look, like, look how he came. He didn't come as a conquering hero. There was no room for him in the end. He was chased to Egypt. It wasn't, it wasn't he just had to go to Egypt. Got to make a trip to Egypt. Come in, I got to make a trip to New York. That'd be the same. You know. His mother and Joseph were carrying that little baby to Egypt to keep Herod from keep murdering him. 
that ain't moving to go have a vacation. Anyway, now we use the word atonement. And I use it in its fullest doctrinal sense. I understand that the word was only used in the Old Testament. But when we talk about atonement, we're talking about Jesus Christ making satisfaction to God the Father for all that His holiness and His justice and His law required. So what Jesus accomplished on the cross was redemption totally, fully making satisfaction to Almighty God for everything that His people owed because of their sins. Now I can maybe sometime have some tears of rejoicing over that. Because you see, that's the only way I've got any hope. It could not have been done by anybody else, nor could it have been done by any other. And there are these theologians that say, well, that's just not reasonable that one should die for another. So they know more than God knows. They, say, they think they do. Look quickly at Acts 2. As Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Verse 23. Him referring to Christ, preaching to all these Jews on the day of Pentecost. Him being delivered by the determinate, determinate counsel, that's His will, His sovereign will. And foreknowledge of God, you all have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They bore the guilt of what they had done. They had cried, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. But Peter lays the guilt at their door. But on the other hand, do not think that you or I have the power to write the final word on anything. Verse 24. Now whom is the same thing as him? Him in verse 23. And whom in 24. Him is the antecedent of whom? Him whom God hath raised up, 
having loosed the pains of death, if you've ever seen a dead person, they're not loosed. That's where they are. Because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. It was not possible that Jesus could be held by the pains of death. And God raised him up 72 hours later. Death could not hold him. It was not possible, any way, shape, matter, or form. And Jesus says in our text, Luke 23, You daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. And this ought to be our message today. Don't spend your time trying to show how empathetic you are with Jesus and his sufferings. Weep for yourselves. And your children. And the world. Well. Weep for yourselves and your children. In Luke's gospel. The 16th chapter. We find the old beggar. Lazarus. And he died. And the angels carried him into Abraham's bosom. That's not a parable. It's a real historical event. But we'll get the rich man. Through the Latin, you can call him dives if you want to. Whatever. Lazarus has got a name, so give him a name. But it says of the rich man, and in hell, now people use that word all the time for a cuss word. I didn't say it as a cuss word. I said it as a real place. And the rich man who had all of the things of this world and Lazarus had none, begging for crumbs, dogs licking his sores. Nobody wanted to be the Lazarus. Nobody wanted to buddy up with him. Nobody would choose Lazarus's life. They want the rich man. But you see, when that time that's coming to every one of us came, yeah, the beggar died, but he ain't the only one. Looks like about the same time, the rich man died. They both died. Now look at the picture. Lazarus is with the Lord, Amen. comforted, and the rich man in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torment. Now, weep for yourselves, Jesus said. Well, what's going to happen? Well, I, I agree that some of that, 70 AD was coming down on Jerusalem. 
lots of things, and you see all the way through Scripture. We talked about the mountains falling on, rocks falling on people. That's what he said in Revelation 6. The opening of the sixth seal. There's lots of things to weep for yourselves over. Number one, if you're not saved, you've got an appointment. God set that appointment a long time ago. And that is to die. You got an appointment. And after this, the judgment. One of the stories they used to tell in the death camps, Auschwitz and the others, the Nazi death camps, and people trying to keep themselves alive. And they talked about the death angel of uh, Tehran. That's in Iran. Iran. <clears throat> this guy's in Jerusalem. Somebody comes to him and says, Hey, buddy, the death angel is coming to get you. Well, I ain't going to let him find me. He gets his grip packed. And he heads out for Tehran a long ways away. And through many struggles, he gets there. And he goes in this place where he's going to stay. And guess who's there? There's the death angel. Says, I've been waiting on you. Think on nothing for a while. I'm going to do it. Uh, I've had a, an atheist tell me he was depending on herbs. To keep him alive, I said, them herbs going to fail you, buddy. They'll fail you probably a whole lot sooner than you think they will. Weep for yourselves. You got an appointment with death. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you're going to go right where the rich man did. And it'll happen all of a sudden. Oh, it'll happen to your children too. Well, I'm not going to bring my children to Sunday school and church. I'm just going to let them make up their minds. Yeah, and what you're probably doing is raising citizens of hell. He said, bring them up in the way they should go. Now, I can't guarantee you. If you bring them up in the way they should go, that they'll go that way. I'm talking about getting your hands clean. Them kids that you love so much and you'll put before the Lord... You probably just enable them to get down there real quick. That's what's going on. And then the world. Cry for the world. Look what look what's happening. Paul said that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And then in Second Thessalonians he says. And when that great falling away has come, then will come the wrath of God on this earth. Weep not for me, you daughters of Jerusalem, but rather weep for yourselves, your children, and the world. Let's all stand.